All right, Redeemer, let's get into Isaiah here, Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 is a really clear, I did half of it last week, we're doing the other half this week. It's one of the most clear prophecies of, of Jesus, you know, the suffering servant. And uh, it's interesting, as I look online to some of my favorite preachers, you know, for help, I can find very few sermons on this, and uh, I guess God's like, you're on your own. Usually I just print off John Piper's sermons and read them. Uh, so let me pray and we'll go. God, I pray we would uh, see your compassion and that we would be compassionate. So people would describe us that way. Amen. Here's the sermon. So in the book of Isaiah, something that becomes clear as we move closer and closer to the end is that we're in need of help and uh, a supernatural help, a savior from out of this world. And his face begins to appear, really comes to a climax in Isaiah 53. Many of you are familiar with that passage, and we're marching toward that. But it's here also in Isaiah 49. So I covered the first half of Isaiah 49 last week. We're going to pick up in verse 8. I'm going to move verse by verse through this and then have some other comments there at the end. Thus says the Lord, In the time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. He's talking. So if you remember the passage last week, we get a peek into this conversation between the Father and the Son. So when it says, thus does the Lord, he's talking about the Father, and he's speaking to the Son, his Son who he's going to send as a Savior. In the time of favor I have answered you, my Son. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. So God the Father is going to send God the Son as a covenant for the people. What that means is he's going to be murdered for you. This is just so basic gospel. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, right? I practice this with the kids, like, what's the good news? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It just becomes rote, I'm afraid. Like, he was given as a covenant. Most of you here have kids, or at least most of the adults. Most of the kids don't. So you love these kids, you cherish them. I just want to slow down here because I just think we, we just breeze by this. God so loved the world, how much? That he gave his son, what? To be murdered, that's the covenant. Jesus in the New Testament says this, right? When he's sitting with his disciples, we, we, we cover this when we take communion together. He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So when the Father says that He's going to give the Son to us as a covenant, it's in His blood. He hands Him over to be murdered. Like that's the love of God. That's the degree, and what we're going to zero in here, because it comes out over and over again, is His compassion, His pity. I will give you... A- Keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land 
and to apportion their desolate heritages, basically to restore all things. Right? All these metaphors in the Old Testament about land and temple, like the longer we get in the scriptures, the more we know this is ultimately about Christ and his bride. Like Jesus didn't come to reestablish the nation of Israel. He came to build the church. He came to give us our inheritance, right? To apportion the desolate heritages and to say to the prisoners, come out and those who are in darkness, appear to free the prisoners. So what is prison? You know, there are men in prison who are free. And there are men and women here who are in prison. Right? The prison is a shadow. What's prison? Prison is darkness. Ignorance of the glory of God. Ignorance, blindness to his beauty, to his mercy. I mean, the inability to appreciate that he has given his son as a covenant is prison. But God in his mercy will awaken us to see this is 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul talks about God setting the prisoners free. And he says this, The God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is what Jesus came to do. They, these that are released, shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. He's using these ironies, right? Bare heights shall be our pasture. We shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them. There's this, you know what he's describing? Invincible joy. Like neither scorching wind nor sun shall, shall strike them. Now, there's a sense here where, where God is speaking to the ultimates, like where we're headed, that we are set to be redeemed from this land, from this flesh, in the new heavens and new earth, new bodies, and utterly invincible. But the reality is that that has begun now. Now, you might not feel that way because you're like, I feel scorched by the wind. I feel tossed to and fro. But here's the deal. Jesus says, Outlandish things like, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. Well, which is it? Well, that death is our birth into life. Like we have an invincible joy. It has been implanted in us by God, by the Spirit. And why? We're going to come back to this. For he has pity on them. Like you're pitiful. And that's, that's the beginning of the good news. God has pity. He's so compassionate. This is why he's doing this. Now, sometimes we think, well, I thought God was doing this for his glory. Isn't that why he does all things? Isn't it glorious how compassionate he is? That is his glory. To reveal his steadfastness. To reveal his long-suffering. Reveal his pity. His compassion on his flock. 
And in that, covered by the grace of God, we are invincible. Listen to this. By springs of water, he will guide them. I will make my mountains a road. Here's what that means. You see a mountain, it's, it's an impasse. It's an obstacle to joy. And God says that mountain will be a road. And my highways shall be raised up. Even the low paths will be like mountains that we prance and sing about the glory of God. Like everything, mountains, roads, everything, conspiring under the power of God to secure your invincible joy. This is what God is doing. Verse 12, Behold, these shall come from afar, and these from the north and the west, and these from the land of Cyrene, or Syene, which, what is the point here? If you recall back in verse 6, he says to Jesus, It is too light a thing that you should only be the Redeemer of Israel. Right? So I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation shall reach the end of the earth. And so you've got this idea of God's compassion overflowing outside, beyond Israel, Jerusalem, right? Judea, Samaria, and on to the ends of the earth. That's how much compassion he has. It's not just a little. It's overflowing, never ending. It's infinite. In verse 13, the response is, the heavens sing. Now, you remember last week, it was fish and scallops, right? Singing. Now it's heavens and mountains. Mountains sing. Like, we're just so dull. I had a little free time yesterday, the afternoon, so I put on Netflix, right? And my daughter says, let's watch a, a nature show. And I'm like, look out the window. <laughs> That's how unhelpful I am as a father. But actually, we've just become dull. I remember driving through the Rocky Mountains. I've done that a couple times. And a year or so ago, a year and a half, we went with our kids. And it's stunning for seven minutes. The mountains are singing. The heavens declare the glory of God. Like, it's majesty. And yet there's this dullness, right? There's this dullness to us. Like, I kind of felt bad. Like, you know, after a few I don't know, a half hour or so, my kids just kind of stopped saying, wow, and they, hey, can we get on tech again? And like, I kind of didn't want them to, but I was kind of over it too. I understood. It's like, I can only sustain for so long. We are dull to these glories. I've shared this G.K. Chesterton quote before, but I think it's, it's good. And it's about this idea that we grow dull. Because children have abounding vitality... Because they are in spirit, fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible, now he says it is possible, I say it is certain that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old. And our father is younger than we. 
Now, if we grow dull to mountains, how much more to God's compassion? Do we see the mountains? They're right before our face. We're driving through. Smack, smack, smack every time you turn. God's compassion is more constant and more majestic than that. And are we aware of it? Are we dull? Verse 14 answers the question. But Zion, God's people say, the Lord has forsaken me. My God has forgotten me. He's not compassionate. He has pity on me. It's unbelief. We don't see the hidden hand of God. It's impossible to believe that the mountain is a path, right? That the wound is a kiss. This is fairy tale stuff, right? This is literally fairy tale stuff. We don't believe that the duck is a swan, the frog, a prince, the sinner, a saint, you, beloved, God, compassionate, your joy, invincible. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So God draws an analogy. Let me tell you what my compassion and my, is like. He says, can a woman forget her nursing child, right? Like, can you think of something more, more faithful, like, why are there way more single moms and single dads? Oh, because a woman won't forget her child, right? But even these forget, he says. They're not that great. But I will not forget. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. You have been integrated in the body of God. It's, it's, it's him, it's him. You have tattoos, right? That's it's like an image. It's there. It's part of me. I got these tattoos. It says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away because I figured if I tattoo it on my hands, I won't forget and then I'll be godly. But I grow dull. But God doesn't. And he's engraved your name on the palm of his hands. That was the problem. I put it on the back. Your walls are continually before me. That's your, you talking about the walls of the city, but what does that represent? It's your place, your belonging, your security, your being, your being, you, your concerns, your life, your hopes, your fears, your dreams, your wants, your desires, your needs, your longings, they're continually before me. Continually. Not just every once in a while. I pray for you, church, and I text you and I call you, but I can't keep up. I can't keep up. God keeps up. He keeps up with every single one of you. Your walls are continually before him. He's not like our builders and our destroyers, those who build the walls or destroy the walls. They, they run off. They are scattered. But God is continual. Now listen to this. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. Who's they? Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. I believe God here is speaking to his son and saying, all these that I'm calling, you're going to put them on like an ornament. It's another fairy tale. Listen to this. Do you want to get dolled up? 
right? What do you do? Do your hair, your jewelry, makeup, whatever, right? You want to be adorned. You want to enhance your beauty. Well, so does God. And you know how he does it? It says it here. He puts you on. I mean, this stuff borders on blasphemy, right? Like, depending on, like, how you've been taught. Jesus Christ will take the nations, those that are gathering to him, he will put them on, and they will be his beauty. You will be the beauty of God. Through the work of God, the mountains become paths. The wounds are a kiss. We are God's ornaments. I was thinking this morning of the failures of the church. Not you particularly or me, but just the church. Because the culture critiques the church. And you know what? Like they're, they're right. So how is that Christ's ornament? Because it highlights his compassion. I was thinking about talking with my wife a couple weeks ago about sin. <laughs> it's real fun at my house. Think about our kids. I love them. They need help. We need help. They're pitiful. We're pitiful. And I was so caught up with the extent of the help they need. I literally was like, they need magic. Right? Because God, they don't just need a helping hand, instructions, a class, discipline, wisdom. Like, eh. they need to be changed at their essence, right? To be a different thing. So we are born again, a new creation. I'm just like, we need magic. So of course I go on Facebook and I go, do you believe in magic? With no context. You know, I'm like, no, I don't believe in magic. It's like, well, God does. It's literally fairy tale stuff here, right? That's what it takes. That's what it's going to take. So, you know, sometimes I sit there and I linger and I consider the failings of the church and my own sin and my own kids and maybe think that doesn't sound fun. And in one sense, it's not. But I think what it does, is it brings me to like to the true hope, which is like supernatural help. Like we don't just need a little advice in a better website. Like we need a savior from on high who does miracles, changes, right, ugly ducklings to swans, that kind of thing. So let's zero in here on God's compassion. Psalm 103 says this, He knows our frame. That means what we're made of. And what is it? He remembers that we are dust. He knows. But it's not just that. It's not just knowing our frame and knowing that we're dust. 
But it's an, it's a, an empathy with that and a movement toward to help. One writer says this, compassion is the sometimes fatal, and we'll see later it's always fatal. Compassion is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside someone else's skin. It's literally what God did. He came and identified with our frame. Again, this is going to sound crazy. It is the knowledge that there could never be really any peace and joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. Right? Like if you're not happy, I'm not happy. Now let me ask you this. If you're not happy, will God be happy? There's a brain twister, right? We can talk more about this, but here's the idea. Your quick one is, of course, he is happy within himself. But listen to this. There's one universe, one history, one way that this unfolded, and it is this, that God put his joy within yours. It is committed. His glory and his joy, his adornment, for goodness sake, is the church. He won't be happy unless you're happy in him. Some of you are very upset. (laughs) Lift your eyes, Jesus, Father talking to the Son. Look around and see. They all gather. They come to you. And as I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Your joy is mixed up in the joy of the Lord and vice versa. Unbelievable. And this compassion that moves toward us is infinite, right? It's, our walls are continually before Him as contrasted with me. Like, am I a compassionate person? I was thinking about this. I think, well, yeah, sometimes... But I have a point. Yeah, but that's the point. That's the point of testing. Oh, I'm compassionate to a point. That is the point. Have I lost you? That's the place of testing. Gosh, I am just not nice to my kids. They like me. We get along fine. But I, you know, some of you out there look forward to have kids like, good luck. I don't know what you're doing. We stand revealed. Am I a compassionate person? (laughs) No. God is purely and infinitely compassionate. And so I look, again, I preach my life here to my kids and their need and my lack and it breaks my heart but the good news is there is a compassion to match your frame it's for my children and all of you you are dust 
and I lack compassion, but he doesn't. There is a compassion to match your pitiful nature and even outmatch it. And we see this ultimately on the cross, right? The suffering servant. This is why I say it is actually always fatal. Like when God sets his compassion on us, he knows it's a covenant love that requires blood and death. We need redeemed. And to, to enter our pain and to enter our suffering required his death. I think the thinking of the cross is like the Grand Canyon of the glory of God. Like I described the mountains, right? They're incredible. I think the Grand Canyon's more incredible. And it, here's why I think it is. It's very rare that you can see majestic things up close, right? Big, big things like the sun are very far away. You can see them. The closer something really big gets, it's really hard to see. Even a mountain, right? By the time you get up to it, you can't really see it. You can, certainly can't see the other side. You can't see it. It's too big. But the Grand Canyon is inverted. You can get right to the rim and take it all in. You can see the whole thing. It like wants to swallow your being, right? You're just like, you stand there staring. I eventually get dull with that too, right? But it's there, and I think the cross, that's how I view it, is like the Grand Canyon of the glory of God. Like, you can come right to the brink and see to the other side. You can see to the other side. There's the fullness of God. Nothing hidden. In full display. Struck down. Bare. Bleeding. Wow. I do want to talk about us. God forgives us. He dies for us. He brings us in to that compassion. And he says, I want you to go and do likewise. So we think of 2021 and how we want it to be different. And the simple answer is we just, I just want to go away. I just want the bull crap to stop. That's simple. You know what? There are years that are easier than others and maybe that'll happen. But if not, what has been revealed? Like, do you look back on 2020 and go, man, my tenderheartedness has been revealed. My compassion has been revealed. There's a vision for 2021. Come hell or high water, right? Paths or mountains, whatever God brings our way. Oh, what, what we would, when we're struck, right? Jesus at the cross was struck, and what bursted forth was compassion, love. Oh, what would we be when we're struck? That's a vision. It's a vision for a church. I don't wish hardship on us because I am weak. But if it's in the Lord's will, oh, that we would be revealed as ornaments of God, right? Taking on His beauty.
That's all I have. Um, <clears throat> we'll enter a time of response. So let me invite the uh, response team up, the band. and Here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing. Uh, song. I put that in the category of magic. I know that's a dangerous term, but give me some grace. Okay. Magic is, is uh, associated with right, dark forces and people conjuring up spirits and things like that. And that's not good. But it's a perversion of the true thing, which is right, the conjuring of true good spiritual forces, communing with the Spirit of God. Right? God moving towards His people supernaturally. It is a supernatural thing. And for me, music is one of those things that helps that because it, it transcends our thinking and our, our simple precepts. And for me, it helps right, break down some of my dullness. Right? So I invite you into that. Like, ask God like, in that. Step into that asking Him to work on you in that space. It's not just a format for lyrics. It's it's that too, but it's more than that. Ask him to work on your affections, to work on your spirit, and sing your heart out. If you believe God is revealing a word for the body today, if he's told you something that you think would build up the body, we encourage you to submit that to one of the pastors. You can talk to Glenn here in Cedar Rapids, in Cedar Falls. Um, talk to the MC. If you're online, feel free to text something in as well uh, to one of us, and we'll we'll consider that. We're going to celebrate communion together. Communion is where, right? We remember because we're dull, right? And Christ knows that, and so He gives us an opportunity, at least this way, to to come and remember and be and to recall the important things, right? Of his compassion and his mercy and the love of God and giving his son and all these things, right? And so that's what we do. So we have communion cups. If you didn't get one, they're available by the doors. Um, go ahead and grab one. And on your own or with your family or friends as you pray and repent and rejoice in God, just remember this. Jesus, when he took the bread... He had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's go there and remember his love, his mercy, his compassion. God, we thank you for your grace that our hope is not in our works, <clears throat> but in your compassion. But we also want to be like you. Sounds good. So draw us nearer into you. Make us compassionate, God. Amen.